you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Wonderful. Well, welcome again, everybody. Uh, it's a good, it, it's always a good day to come together and, and to worship God together. Uh, but I will say there's an extra, um, there's an added blessing. We're able to dedicate uh, some kids to the Lord uh, this morning. And so what a, uh, what an awesome thing for the Cross and Turner family. And thank you all for being a part of that. Um, with that said, we are uh, excited to continue our series called Life on Mission. And uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we're going through the book of Acts and we're looking at what does it mean to be a church on mission? How do we engage in what God has called us as the church corporately and as the people of the church, what has he called us to do? And we, we started a couple of weeks ago and uh, Philip Cross, who was up here earlier, he was sharing about gathering purposefully and being devoted uh, to God and to the church and to those things. But what does it mean to be devoted? Then we talked about last week, connecting deeply and to have relationships and to, to recognize that we want to draw close to one another as we are drawn close to the Lord. Now today we're going to talk about a topic that um, I know can be difficult for some of us. Uh, some of us, it's fine. Some of us, we feel great about it. Others, it can feel a little uncomfortable. And especially those of you who are new, just right off the bat, you know, we don't talk about money all the time, but that doesn't mean that we don't talk about it. We see how the importance of addressing what it means to live a life of generosity. As Barbara shared in the video we just saw, that we are a church that loves to be generous. And we see that through uh, giving towards missionaries. We see that through gifts for Jesus that we do at the end of every year. We see that through Abraxas and through other ministries we support locally. We see that through the time that you dedicate for the service and the, 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 the generosity that you exhibit. And so... What we're going to talk about today is to wrestle with what it looks like looking at the end of Acts 4 and the beginning of Acts 5, what it looks like to live in the story of generosity God has created, why that can be hard for us sometimes, but what it is that we are invited into if we step into that. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we um, see what God has for us, whether you're here in person or online, may we draw close to one another as we see what God has through his word. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here with us today, whether here is live in person here, whether it's watching online live, whether it's listening to the podcast or watching the sermon later. God, I pray that each person who hears my voice right now would have an overwhelming sense of the love that you have for them. May they know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, may we not allow the topic to, um, to be something that we build up walls, but may we open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to what you have to say for each person, each one of us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it was just a, a couple months ago that I was standing on stage, and here's something that... Um, that you should know about me and not, I don't know. One of the things that uh, is hard for me, I struggle with, is 
um, being interrupted. Um, and so maybe that's why I just have to make sure that my mic's louder than all of you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but just recognize when I'm talking or when someone's talking, it bothers me when I'm interrupted or when I see someone else interrupted, right? And so it's just a few months ago when I'm standing on stage and we're closing the service, I'm giving the benediction and kind of that closing moment. And then Thomas, our, our worship director, who was up dedicated uh, Jackson earlier in the, the first service, you know, he's like, oh, we have one more thing. And I'm like, what do you mean we have one more thing? Like that, I, was, I was in my groove, I was ready to go. And then I see uh, David, our uh, president of the board of elder, or the board of directors. I'm like, oh no, what's happening? Like, this is it. This is the end. We decided to do this in front of everybody. This is great. No. Um, and then they come up, and there's just this beautiful, uh, very generous uh, basket of things. And we talked about this. It was to celebrate my being able to graduate with a master's through Hope International University. But it, it, was, it was cards with generous, kind, loving words, encouraging words. It was gift cards. We, had, we just used one this weekend uh, for our family to have a meal out. And um, it was just, you know, snacks and things like that. It was just so, so, so sweet. And so, I'm so appreciative of that. And it was one of those moments where we think about what it means to receive generosity and to be the recipients of it, and we love it. We love being able to just be recipients of being blown away by the generosity of others. And you all have, have been so generous. I, I've mentioned it before. I don't take lightly the fact that our family, I'm able to have a living in order to, to be able to provide for our family because of the generosity of you. Those of you who give your tithes and if you give an offering over and above, we are able to live off of what you provide. And I don't take that lightly. That's why we don't go, you know, I don't go to Vegas and just put it all on black. And when you, because I'm like, oh, sweet, this has been a great month and just come back home. Like it's recognizing that your generosity allows us, allows me to, to do what God's called us to do. And, and yesterday being able to remember that it was four years ago yesterday was my first day on the job here. And so just so grateful to be the recipients of your generosity. But if you're like me, I think there's a tendency sometimes, potentially, when we like to be the recipients of generosity, but giving generously might be a little bit harder because the giving generously has less to do with the amount of the gift we are giving. And it more has to do with the motivation of our hearts when we give it. Let me explain. When um, Steph in 2009 uh, and then 2010, she uh, left, she was working at a nonprofit and then she went to go to uh, school to be a dental assistant. And then she graduated and she was able to then start working at a dental assistant office for a year. And so... One of the things that I, she had mentioned wanting, or I knew she had wanted, but I was, I was going to surprise her with this. I remember going uh, to a restaurant in an outdoor mall, Victoria Gardens, up in San Diego, or excuse me, um, LA County, um, San Bernardino County. And I remember I had bought her a ring that would be able to, because she had a diamond on her, on her wedding ring, but I wanted her to have a ring that she could wear with like the gloves and everything, and, and that the, the rock um, would, you know, tear it. We didn't want to do that. So I remember having this ring and I was, we were having dinner at this restaurant and I remember just being so excited to give it to her. But you know what I wanted more? Like I wanted her to have the ring. Yes, you know what I really wanted? I wanted this like really big response. Like she was so shocked and awed and just amazed and so grateful. And, and the thing was, I thought I was sneaky, but she, she, she talked about it. She knew she'd want it, and she knew that I was going to give it to her. So I remember giving her this generous financial, like it was a financial thing that cost money is generously. But my heart was wanting to get the reaction 
or my heart wasn't to give just for the sake of giving. I wanted, I, I wanted to feel good about how good I was, right? And I think we may want to be the recipients of generosity, but giving generously, again, has less to do with the amounts that we're giving, but more to do with the heart or the motivation with which we give it. We're going to unpack this together, looking at Acts chapter 4, um, starting in verse 32, and then we're going to look at the first few verses of Acts chapter 5. And again, as we're continuing a series looking at the book of Acts and life on mission, to be engaged in the church and living a life that is for God means that giving generously is something that we are called to do because we are created in the image of a generous God. And we have been given so much that we can give back and everything we have has, it was his in the first place. But what does it look like when there's someone who gives generously? What's the impact in the world when the church gives generously? And then what happens when people give, when someone gives, but it's not out of a generous heart. It's out of a selfish motivation and what occurs there. So the first point that we're going to look at is just the early church's generosity story. Just painting the picture, if you will. We're going to do a little bit of a, uh, it's kind of like an hourglass sermon, if you will, where we kind of take this bigger picture of, you know, generosity and how we live in a culture that we, we want things that are mine, 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 and we want to hold on to our things and acquire things and we feel like there's scarcity. When we're called to live a life, when we see all of our stuff as God's, 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 and that we can give generously. So we're going to pare it down into seeing in Acts chapter 4 what it looks like when the early church gave generously and lived this kind of generous lifestyle. It starts here in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we'll stop there for a moment. See, this passage in Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35 is very similar to what we had looked at in Acts 2 last week. But last week we focused on the idea of having everything in common and that they were together and they broke bread together and they ate together and they prayed together and we focused on the togetherness. But even in Acts 2, it talked about the importance of their generosity and how they gave to those who were in need. And so this is the idea here where it says that they did not see any of their possessions as their own. Friends, we are, it's so natural for us to want to see things as ours. And we see things like, like the, uh, the seagulls in Finding Nemo, where it's just like, mine, 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 mine. And we want to hold on to things. And part of that is just human nature. Part of that is wanting to hold on to what's ours. And part of that comes from a, a misunderstanding of what it is to be generous or rather what it is that we think is most important about stuff. It's not about the accumulation or acquisition of goods. It's about being generous with the goods we've been given to do good things in others' lives. And so if you, you know, if you've been around any kids or any, you know, any length of time, it's the idea of when they want to have something, like, no, that's mine, and they take it. Can I look at that? No, that's mine. For me, if it's like someone wants to, you know, if it's like, oh, can we, can we have a bite of your like Little Caesars crazy bread? I'm like, no, it's mine, mine, mine. You know, like I, like I want it for myself. And I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to love people. And you know, you give people. But it's this begrudging generosity. 
giving begrudgingly rather than giving generously. We all do this. This is natural. But thanks be to God that we're not called to stay within natural, but God can supernaturally change us from being people who are going mine, 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 to saying everything is God's, 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 and we can give back to him. Continuing in verse 40, uh, excuse me, 33, it says, with great power, the apostles, uh, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I'll stop there for a moment. The first thing is this idea that there were no needy persons among them. One of the difficulties we have is that we often don't, we, we don't want to share the needs that we have. And, and that's hard. That's a, that's a difficult thing. But the church was not only so generous that they would give to the people in need. The people were together so much. They connected so deeply, like we discussed last week, that they knew when needs had arisen in the, in the family of God. That uh, I'm going to read a quotation from uh, Aristides, who wrote this in the year 125 AD. If we could go a couple of slides a little bit further here. He says this. He talks about the people of God, the early Christian church. He says, they, Christians, walk in humility and kindness, and falsehood is not found among them. And they love one another. Friends, sidebar, if we just lived that sentence out, the impact on our world Yes, us as the church, as our church, but as the church across the globe. If we walked humbly in kindness and didn't speak falsehoods and we loved one another, it would just be incredible the amount of impact that changes. Continue on. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan, which comes straight from James 1, 26 and 27. He that hath distributeth liberally to those that hath not. And, there, and if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. The reason that they were able to have not one, any poor among them was that they didn't see everything in the church family. It wasn't just mine, mine, mine. It was the idea that everything was God's and that the family of God, extended family of God, saw things as this is all God, so let's help one another. If they needed to fast so that someone else would have food, they would fast to give to those in need. We're going to go back uh, a, couple, um, a couple of slides to reading verse 34 again. That's highlighted. So not only were there no needy persons because they would give and sacrifice, but from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet. The reason I highlighted from time to time is because this was not... Uh, the, the tense in the Greek is not a one-time activity. It wasn't like the idea of, you know, hey, there's a big capital campaign or there's a big uh, extra end of year giving that we're aiming for. So the people are like, okay, great. We'll, we'll sell our stuff and we'll bring everything at the feet. It's from time to time, this became a habit that people would give to or towards. There would habitually be times when someone within the church would find out there's a need and sell their things in order to give to those in need. We've, had, uh, we've been very blessed to be able to, to buy a condo and then sell it and then to buy a place here, a house here. And so 
knowing all of the details of buying and selling, and I get that it was different 2,000 years ago, but that's still a lot to recognize that we buy and we sell and we're giving everything to the apostles' feet. And, and here it talks about specifically the money from the sale. It's, it was everything. They gave it all willingly and generously that they sold their homes and gave it to those in need. Am I saying, am I commanding all of us to sell our homes? No. That's not what we're called to do, unless that's what the Lord has called you to do. But the idea is not to say, oh, all of us must do this. We are all under compulsion to do this. The idea is that they were recipients of such generosity through Jesus, that they gave such, so generously to those around them. And they did not want any poor among them. So they came alongside and they gave. We see an example we read from Aristides who wrote that description of early Christians and how they gave so willingly and so lovingly. We see that from the year 125 AD. 125 years later, in the year 250 AD, historical records talk about how the church in Rome was caring for over 1,500 people in need by doing things like this. By giving and seeing all the things as if it were not just mine, mine, mine but was God's, 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 and given to his people. Then we see in uh, Julian the Apostate, who was an emperor in the 300s, he talked about how he was trying to stamp out Christianity. He wanted to get rid of it, but then he said that these cursed Galileans, or these Christians, were not just giving to their own poor, but also to the poor of those who don't follow the faith. He said that, you know, he, he couldn't stamp it out because they don't just feed their poor, they feed ours as well. So this is hundreds of years later now after Jesus' death, but the early church grasped and caught on to the importance of giving generously because it showed their faith in God and that their heart was not in treasures here on earth, but their heart was in heaven and his treasures were in heaven. And this is hard for for us because we, we want to be generous, but sometimes we might give generously, but it, the amount may be generous, but our heart may not. Sometimes we give generously and, and then we applaud ourselves because we want the approval of people or we want the accolades or you want that feeling I got when I gave Steph that ring and it was more about me than it was about giving her the gift. So we see in Acts chapter 4 the idea of giving generously, and how the early church exemplified that, but this was not a perfect example. This was not perfect because, again, our church, just like their church, just like every church, we're not perfect people. There are people who are changed by God to change this world. We fall short. We make mistakes. And if you are looking for a church filled with people, perfect people, it's not us. And you won't find that church because all of us are in need of God's grace. So we talked about the early church's example, but now let's look about what happens when someone gave, but they didn't give generously. The amount may have been generous, but the heart behind it was not. We're going to set the stage that after we just read verses 32 through 35, and we see how the church was, we see this positive example of Joseph, a Levite, verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So this is an example. Again, we're going, 
wide view of generosity and uh, like perspective of things are mine, mine, mine versus God's, God's, God's. Then we're getting a little bit smaller to what the church did. And now we're looking at the very crux of the, of the hourglass, if you will. The very crux of it is this con- the contrast between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas did what everyone was doing and they gave and he gave everything. But verse, chapter 5 verse 1 gives us the contrast. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. See, Ananias sees, and Sapphira, they see what the church is doing, what the people are doing. And they even see specifically Joseph, and they contrast the, the Acts, the writer of Acts, uh, Luke. He writes and he shows the contrast between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. But what was it that Ananias and Sapphira did that was wrong? Let's read together. It's not on the screen, but just follow along in the Bible. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. See, here's, here's the crux. The problem wasn't that Ananias and Sapphira sold their, sold their house. The problem wasn't even that they gave the money and laid at the feet. The problem was that they lied saying that what they gave was everything. They were under no compulsion to give. They willingly decided to give, which is awesome. It's a beautiful thing and ought to be celebrated. But the problem that happens here is that they wanted to have the appearance of doing something generously while holding back behind the scenes to have a little bit more for themselves. The problem was that they came under the pretense of this is everything and they held back. God, when we surrender our lives to God, he wants everything of our lives. For some of us, finances is that hardest thing to let go of. Some of us, it's approval of other people. Some of us, it's the desire and the drive to achieve. For some of us, it's to just have the most stuff and thinking that he who dies with the most toys wins. For some of us, it's seeking how we can find love that would fulfill the aches in our souls. And we do that with various different ways. But the problem is, is that God wants all of us. The Ananias and Sapphira, their sin was not in the fact that they laid the money. It's the fact that they lied about how much they were giving over to God. They were not giving generously. The amount was generous. But their heart was that they were holding back. Why? Maybe because they didn't trust God to fully provide. Maybe it's because what they really wanted was the applause, the plaudits. They wanted the attention. They wanted to be thought of just as good as Joseph and all the others. But they sought to have money fulfill them in a way that they couldn't. Let me give an example. C.H. Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon gives an illustration. And in this illustration, it's the story of a king who sits inside his royal courtroom. And as he's sitting in the courtroom, um, a farmer comes in and the farmer shows up and he brings a carrot to the king. 
And he says, King, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown and will ever grow. Out of my love and respect for you, I want to give you this carrot. And he goes and he turns away. The king discerns the farmer's heart and says, wait, clearly you have a gift and you're able to, to grow this well. I'm going to give you a plot of land that you can continue to farm because of your great gift. The farmer leaves and he's, he's ecstatic. He's very excited and blessed by that generous gift. Now there's a man, there's a nobleman who's standing and watching this take place that day. And he decides, he thinks to himself, if the king gives a carrot, or excuse me, receives a carrot and gets this huge plot of land to someone else, what would he give to someone who gives him an even better gift? The next morning he shows up to the king's court and he walks in and the, ch and the doors open in the back and he walks in to, with holding the reins of this beautiful black stallion. He walks up to the king and says, King, this is the greatest stallion I have ever bred or will ever breed. And out of my love and respect for you, I want to give you the gift of this stallion. And the king discerns the heart of the nobleman, receives the gift, accepts it, and thanks him and sends him on his way. When the nobleman asks the king about it, saying, why is it that you, you gave a plot of land to the guy who gave you a carrot, but here I give you a, a stallion and it's a greater gift. Why, you know, how, what's going on? The king says this. He says, the farmer gave me the carrot, but you gave yourself the horse. In other words, the farmer gave a gift, even if it was small, he gave it out of his love for the king. Yet, the man, the nobleman who gave the horse, gave it because he wanted to get something else out of it. So, Ananias, Sapphira, what happens to them when they hold back? Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Okay, that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot. And so we look at this idea of like, okay, if... Um, God, you're trying to build a church. Holy Spirit, you know that we're trying to share the gospel with people about Jesus and we want them to know about the saving grace that they can have life and life eternal. You know, I'm, I've only been a pastor for four years and so personally, I, I think as a church growth plan, having people die when they give is not the best way to grow a church. <laughs> and yet, God shows the severity and the seriousness of all of our sin. See, we might look at the sin of lying, we think it's a small sin. It's a little white lie. It's, it's something that does not impact us. And it doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't mean anything. It's an illustration of when you've been driving on a car, or in a car. On a car would be weird. Uh, driving in a car, and all of a sudden, a pebble hits your windshield. And you hear the crack. And you know, this isn't going to go well. Because all of a sudden that small pebble can create a small chip that over time can start to fracture and distort your windshield and can be a great cost to repair it. Any of these small sins, whether it's lying, whether it's the hypocrisy of saying, yes, I've done everything and I'm putting on a mask to say I'm, I have everything all together. This word hypocrisy or hypocrite comes from an, a Greek actor in a play that would wear a mask. They were playing a part. Friends, if we are just playing the part, 
of following God, then there's chances that we could run into being hypocrites. And so it's the small, quote-unquote, sin of lying or the small, quote-unquote, sin of hypocrisy, the kind of sins that no one else would see and know about, only us, only we would know. And yet in order for us to live with integrity, we look at the etymology of that word and integrity comes from the word integer, which just means a whole number. So it's this idea that when we live with integrity, it means that we are whole. It means there are no cracks in our windshield. There's no distortion within us. There's no lying or hypocrisy within us because who we say we are is who we really are. And recognizing that Ananias, Sapphira, they died not because they didn't give enough money. God wasn't worried about the amount. Everything is God's in the first place anyways. But he saw that their hearts were not giving because they wanted to honor the king, but because they wanted to receive honor themselves. So Ananias dies and great fear seized all who heard what has happened, which is an incredible understatement. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and hurried him, and buried him, excuse me. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Again, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the kind of passage that we know all scripture is God-breathed and important for teaching, teaching and rebuking and encouragement. It's a passage that's hard. But what it shows us is, again, the small things matter. And it shows us that if we're not giving everything generously. It'd be better for us to give a little and a carrot with a generous heart than to give a stallion expecting to get something back. If we think that God owes us because of how big our donations are, we're missing the point. So 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about this idea here on the screen. It says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you. Hear that. Paul wasn't commanding the Corinthians to give up everything in the same way that the Acts church did. I am not saying you must do this. If you want to be a part of this church, you need to sell your, all your homes and give everything and lay it at the feet of the church leaders. That's not what we're saying. But what he is saying is he's trying to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Are our gifts sincere? Are we giving earnestly? Are we giving generously? I'm going to close with this last part. We're going to jump ahead a little bit for the sake of time. The last point that we want to talk about, we talked about the, the early church's story of generosity. We talked about what happens when someone gives Ananias and Sapphira, but not generously, but wanting something back. And lastly, we're going to enter into our invitation, our invitation into God's generosity story. 
Now, I'm going to have to breeze through these or fly through this, but if you want to dive in a little bit further, uh, a lot of the content and the quotations for the next few moments come from Paul David Tripp's book, Redeeming Money. And in this book, he has a chapter called The Generosity Agenda. It's chapter 9. And here are some of the quotations and the, 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 the case that he lays out for generosity. First, he talks about how the biblical story is a generosity story. And no words capture the essence of this story better than these. For God so loved the world that he gave. From John 3.16. For those that... Um, the full verse of that is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But notice how the correlation between deep love and generous giving. That God, out of his love for his people, out of his love for you, gave generously. And this is not the only time he does this in his story or in the, the story of the, um, the Bible. In fact, it says this, it really is this, that the narrative in the Bible is a story of God's giving, giving, and giving again. If you read your Bible through the lens of generosity, you will be blown away by how lavishly generous your Lord is. So here's what he outlines here, and I can't, for the sake of time, go into all 11 of these with any sort of depth that they would warrant. But let me introduce just a quick review or a quick perspective that Tripp lays out for the story of God's generosity through the Bible. That it starts off with the generosity of creation. The fact that he gave us a good creation that was just the right distance from the sun that we wouldn't burn up, but, but, but that we would also receive the nutrients and that the earth would be able to grow. He generously gave enough food on this earth to be able to feed everybody before there's corruption and before people hoard things for themselves. He gave generously of his creation that would point to him as Romans 1 talks about. He gave the generosity of the covenant that Abram, he followed God's voice but he was able to enter into this covenant that lasted for generations because God generously said, I will make you a people that will bless others. You will be blessed to bless other people. You will have more people or more descendants in the stars in the sky. You will be able to have a promised land. All of this was a generous gift to Abraham. The generosity of freedom from slavery in Exodus, that he orchestrated all the plagues that after 400 years of God's people being in slavery, he opened up and he got them out, not because they had earned it, but because he gave their freedom. The generosity of the law, the law feels restricting and it tells us what you can or can't do, but the reason was because God's heart was so that you could have a right relationship with him and that there are things that we do that keep us separated. And before Jesus came, we, they followed the law in order to do their best to be made right before God. The generosity of the promised land, again, a land that they did not earn and a land that God went before and paved the way so that God and his people, excuse me, God's people could come through and Joshua could lead them to the land flowing with milk and honey. The generosity of the incarnation that Jesus did not have to give up his place in heaven to enter into the rags of a manger. He did not have to give up his life so that those who, of us who were once far from God could be brought near to God. He did not have to, but God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us a savior that lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and was raised to new life so you and I could be invited into his story. The generosity of the cross and forgiving grace, the reminder of the cross that there's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. 
and there's nothing we could do to make, us, make him love us any less. That all of our sin, all of our weight, all of our burdens, all of our heartache were hanging on the shoulders of Jesus on that cross and he paid the price that was meant for you and me. He took the bill, wrote it all off and set us free. The generosity of his accepting love, the love that we can be accepted not because we're perfect but because we're his the love that we can have for one another as we accept one another. The generosity of scripture in the church that we can turn and we can have his word that is consistent over thousands of years that has been written by dozens of different authors spanning thousands of different years but tells the same story of God's relentless pursuit of his people who have been fallen away from him and have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and spend eternity with him. The generous generosity of daily mercy his mercies are new every morning. This morning, you woke up and he gives us breath. He gives us his mercies. Knowing that we will fall short and knowing and hoping that we'll come back, he gave us every single day. And then lastly, the generosity of eternity. The fact that our time here on earth, as C.S. Lewis would put it, is, is, is but the first page of the first chapter of the entirety of God's story. That we get to spend eternity with God. We don't earn that. We're given that. The story of God with his people is the story of generosity. And when we realize that, when we receive, when we've been recipients of that generosity, then we know that we're created in the image of a giver, generous God. That we cannot outgive God, but he loves it when we try. When we live in his image in such a way that, just like in the 300s when Julian the Apostate says, I wanted to stop, stomp out the church, but they're too generous and care about too many people. Can't happen. That we have an impact in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world by giving to our global missionaries and by serving in our local ministries. That people would look and they would see God's people standing up and giving generously. And when we realize how much God has given to us, are we going to hoard it and say, mine, mine, mine? Will we focus on our own acquiring or acquisition of things? Will we believe in the lie of scarcity? Or will we say, Everything is God's, God's, God's. And we can give back knowing he's faithful to take care of us. Timothy Keller closes it with this way. This is what Paul is saying, that Jesus gave up all his treasure in heaven in order to make you his treasure. For you are a treasured people, as 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 say. When you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him yours. Money will cease to be the currency of your significance and security and you will want to bless others with what you have. Friends, we look around and we, we look at maybe others in our church or our neighborhood or our schools or workplaces. We look around and we compare ourselves. We say, well, we don't have as much as that person and we don't, you know, we can't purchase that or we can't go on that vacation or we can't have that. And it's easy for us to look to other people near us and believe that we are not rich enough or we don't have enough to be generous. And yet, 
Timothy Keller outlines in his book, Counterfeit Gods, the fact that we ought not look at our own social circle in order to compare how rich we really are, but compare to the vast majority that billions of people in the world live on just a few dollars a day. Compared to the world, we are rich. So with the riches that God has generously given to us, will we hold on to it and say, mine, mine, mine? Or will we give generously to God and say, it's all yours, yours, yours. Do with it what you will so that more people can come to know you. I'll close with, I uh, remember years ago, um, Shailen had just, she, she drew a picture and like wrote a card um, or wrote a note that was just, you know, like a thank you note. And I love you, daddy, those sorts of things, which are amazing. And it's one of those where, you know, as she gives that, did she pay for that paper? No. Did she pay for the markers to write it? No. Did it matter that she, those, those were all ours, right? Those are me and Steph's, we paid for that. But even though what she used was already ours, she still gave us a gift because of her heart. Being able to use our paper with our markers to write a note that shares her love and her gratitude. Friends, that's worth more than a carrot. That's worth more than a black stallion. And when we take what God has already given to us, everything we have is his. We can give back with the gratitude of our hearts to give generously to his causes and to him and to those in need by saying, God, we know this isn't mine, 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 but everything is yours, yours, yours. May this bless your people. May more people come to know you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. And, and God, I pray for those who are, um, God, who are here, whether for the first time or they're still new. God, I pray that um, the topic of money wouldn't hinder the overwhelming sense of your love this morning. I pray, God, that we would not allow uh, any topic to get in the way of what you're trying to tell us today. God, I recognize that for us, we do often turn to money for significance or security. But Lord, ultimately, our only significance comes from having a right relationship with you, knowing that you loved us, you created us, you formed us, that you know us and you breathe life into us. You give us significance because you care for us. And our only security comes when we have our hope anchored in you, that we only build our foundation upon that which has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus. That you are our foundation. So God, I pray that you would work in each of us today, that we would be overwhelmed by your generosity and that we would give back, not looking at what you've given us to say, mine, 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 but give everything back to you, all of our lives, including our finances, but all of our lives. Recognize that it was all yours, yours, yours in the first place. And may our response, the way we are generous, the way we live, be our love letter to you, using what you've given us to bless you. Thank you for being our king, for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. 
We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.